Well, welcome to another episode of the Ramon Foster Show on DKPittsburghSports.com. I am Eddie Provident, filling in for uh, DK as he travels back from New York, uh, probably very somberly, Ramon. Yeah. Uh, and I am with the one and only Ramon Foster. Uh, rough, rough weekend for Pittsburgh sports fans, buddy. Um, I also have to mention that we are brought to you by uh, Get Go Cafe and Market. I can't forget that, man, because I've been sipping on their coffee all morning to try to get myself together here. <laughs> How you it been, man? Necessary. I'm good. I saw DK tweeting. I get up early, of course, but I get up to like just straight nonstop tweets from DK. And I'm like, golly, how long was he up and how intense did it finally get for him, man? It was a long night for the crew at DK Pittsburgh Sports. Let me tell you that, buddy. It was a long night. <laughs> yeah, I would tell you what, every, what Coach Tomlin also likes to say, uh, Eddie, nobody cares about the labor pains. <laughs> Just That's deliver right, the man. damn baby. That's right, man. That's right. Uh, Ramon, we had rookie camp this weekend. And, yeah. you know, you and DK talked a lot about uh, football shape and these rookies yeah. having to get into football shape. And you kind of brought up the second year guys. And that got me thinking, um, what is the, you know, when you're a rookie, you know, everyone has that kind of like, okay, it's the honeymoon phase, you know, like, all right, you know, he's a rookie, he's learning, he's trying to yeah. figure things out. But now second year, you got guys like Najee Harris and Pat Fryermuth and Kendrick Green yeah. and Dan Moore Jr. These dudes are going to be expected to produce a little bit more and be, you know, we talked about leaders on Thursday. They're going to be expected to be a little bit more, you know, playing a little bit more of a leadership role. What's the gap, you know, what, what's the difference between that rookie season for a player and then that second year season in the NFL? What, like, what's the expectations? What, what are, what's different about that for, for them? Everything. Absolutely everything. One, you don't have the excuse of school, which that's a huge part mm -hmm. <laughs> as far as getting to the NFL. You don't have that. You, you have money in your pocket, you have time on your hands, and you're around professionals. So when you're given that first year, yeah, it can be a little bit of a shell shock or just like a cultural shock, whatever you want to call it, a big adjustment that you're going to need as far as being necessarily to getting adjusted to the league. But when you have that year and you make it to the offseason, you understand, if I watch the veterans and saw what they did, then I'll be all right. If I take now all of this free time that I have, to understand that being a better pro into year two is going to be necessary. Like that's the separator. You don't have the, uh, the excuse of being young and dumb anymore. You mm. are a pro. You lasted an entire year. I don't care if it's practice squad either. You lasted an entire year. I've seen guys be on practice squad my rookie year and then end up making the uh, 53 man roster the, the, uh, the next year, simply because they understood the task at hand. You understand how to work, you understand when to work and you also understand that the mental side of it is what's going to carry you further along more than anything. So making that jump, there are no more excuses anymore, um, especially if you played also. And all those guys that you name, they played as far as first year guys go. So now you're expected to be a true pro. And that's why so much pressure on the second year and third year guy. And th the other part of it, too, is you'll be quickly forgotten if you don't take that next big step. Because what are they always looking for? Either your replacement or somebody to make the team better. And it can be indirectly you getting cut because they need an extra running back or they need an extra wide receiver or you'll end up cutting a D tackle because I need an extra outside linebacker because he did something in his rookie year that's more appetizing than what you did. Those old tricks that you did your rookie year, they don't matter anymore. Mm -hmm. And that may sound blunt, but that's just how it is. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, Dan Moore, you started 16, 17 games. So guess what? 
Do it again, but this right. time, let's have less MEs. Let's have less sacks. Let's show that we've gotten better in the run game. Like That right there is where the start of it all begins. Is we've seen your baseline, so now we got to take the step up and just be even more consistent, mentally sharper, and stronger and more physical going into that second year. See, that's an inter- that's an interesting point, you know, the baseline idea, because, you know, we the Steelers actually have two players, I think, that are a perfect example of kind of both ends of the spectrum. You've got somebody like Najee Harris, who yeah. I think he surpassed all expectations in his rookie year. Mm-hmm. And so I guess the first question for me would be, how would somebody like Najee Harris, um, you know, avoid that sophomore slump that everybody talks about being cautious this offseason just being completely honest with you like he did everything you asked him to do had the reps had the yards had the catches also I think his pass pro a little bit better I think that slip of getting outside of your box and doing things you're not used to that's another way that you can lose yourself Mm -hmm. in that game too is trying to do too much well why am I trying to be a full wide receiver when my position is running back unless it's a package that's set for you or instead of getting out and uh or instead of protecting and you're trying to get out and coverage a whole lot quicker than you're supposed to. Like, that, for him, that's the step he's got to take. First, you're a pro bowler. That's freaking phenomenal, man. You, I don't think you can get much right. better than that as far as a rookie go instead of unless you're like uh, Michael Parsons making all pro. Yeah. You know, but even him, those small mistakes, like I'm sure it's something in Najee where the, all of the, the 31 other teams have something as far as now we see his film. Now I can see when he's protecting, his head is shifting side to side or his mm. feet is a certain way. Or he's when he grabs a ball and go right, he's only going to get two yards. Instead of he goes to the left, he'll get five yards. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah, yeah. it's those types of things for him to where he's got to beat his own stigma. It's like for me and my uh, and me transition, I knew that I had to be able to cut off the inside uh, pass rush. Okay. My rookie year, I was it was frustrating to not be able to get it. But it's also one of those things I was giving grace a little bit because why? I'm a rookie. I'm getting it done, but I need to get it done a little bit more efficiently. So right. going into the second year, I worked on my post foot, meaning I played on the left side, my right foot, cutting off the defenders. For a guy like Najee or a guy like Kendrick Green also, you snap the ball well and you can move in space. Now we need to see how you move, uh, how, how, how much better you're going to get as far as moving people off the line of scrimmage. And, and you see what I'm saying as far yeah, as like, yeah. now we've seen it. It's the tape, Najee. What tips are you giving away that you need to hide moving forward? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Dan Moore, run versus pass. What does your set look like as opposed to the run or the pass? It's all of those because now everybody's got the test. Everybody got the answers to the test on you. Yeah, and, and you brought up Kendrick Green, and that was going to be the second name I brought up because I think he's at the other end of the spectrum yeah. where, you know, and this is not a – I'm not, like, coming at Kendrick Green because I think they put him in a difficult situation uh, having him start as a rookie at center when he played majority guard at Illinois. Mm-hmm. Um, but for a guy like Kendrick Green, he's on the opposite end where he doesn't have to worry about the sophomore slump because he really didn't bring it his – you know, he had a rough oh. rookie season. So mm-hmm. what's the mentality for someone like him? He's got that chip on his shoulder, and, you know, he, he wants to prove – you know. You know, like, listen, I know I can be here. I know I can play. I have that pedigree. Mm-hmm. What What's the kind of things that he has to do? And how did how does someone like Kendrick Green look at it to, to come into the second year and, and kind of like prove the doubters wrong? I think first and foremost for him, strength. 
Yeah. Even if he was strong, he need to look it out on the field. Yeah, he you was know, a little undersized, and you saw it, man. He got he got bullied around a little bit. It was and, it was kind of unfortunate. And yeah. you know what? He's probably really doggone good in the weight room, but it needs to translate over mm-hmm. to the field. That's number one for him, and I think that's got to be the most glaring thing that everybody recognizes from him in OTAs and while playing the game uh, during the season, too. And the other part is fighting that, mentally getting past those critics, us, talking about what he should have done and how it wasn't the year that you thought. And, look, the the, the luster of you is gone. You're wearing mm-hmm. 53. You're the same skin tone as Marquise. <laughs> no, nah, we don't care about that because it's clear you're right. not him. So you need to fight that mentally and get over that hump of showing that no matter what y'all think of me, I'm going to be this regardless. And he needs to become the first Kendrick Green as opposed to trying to chase somebody else that wore 53. And I'm not saying he did that, but the pressure of wearing that number directly after Marquise retired and everybody felt how they felt about him as a player. Some big shoes to fill. He got to fight that, Eddie. Yeah. And and I will say this about Kendrick Green, watching him in training camp last year, um, he he had some fight, man. Like he, he's, he's yeah. he was aggressive in training camp. And if he can kind of capture what he had there and bottle that up and, and mm-hmm. kind of take that onto the, the actual playing field and not, not just the practice field, I think he's going to be a good pro. I, I really do. This isn't like, again, I said this before I brought him up. This isn't me knocking Kendrick green. This is me mm-hmm. just saying, look, it is what it is. That was your performance, your rookie year. I, I'm excited to see him, you know, get into a battle and, and and step it up and see what he brings year two. You know what I mean? So and so just to say that as far as how important year two is also before we on on our way out on this one, Eddie, is this a guy that kind of missed the boat in his year two chase mm-hmm. and what chase Claypool. Now, what yeah. happens directly after that? You start looking over his shoulder and say, well, he didn't do what we respected him to do in year two. So who's after him? Like yeah. those are the conversations that happen when you miss that jump, whether even more professionally or more production into your year two. Yep. Ramon, we're going to take a break. When we come back, I want to talk to you about Pittsburgh sports in general, because, you know, we know that saying when, we, when you play Pittsburgh, you play the whole city. And uh, I want to talk about your time in Pittsburgh because you saw a lot of good hockey and a lot of good baseball mm-hmm. uh, during your time in Pittsburgh. So we'll be right back after this break. All right, welcome back to the Ramon Foster Show on the DK Pittsburgh Sports uh, Podcast Network YouTube channel. Uh, Ramon, we, man, last night was tough for me. Uh, I mean, not only was I up late because I had to help out DK with the column and get all the stuff done for that, but man, I'm a hockey guy. Like that, that's yeah. my sport. That, you know, uh, Mario Lemieux was my guy growing up. That was, yeah. you know, that was my idol growing up. And uh, man, the Penguins lost a heartbreaker in game seven. And I know this isn't a hockey show. We're not going to get into breaking down the hockey game. I'll do that with Danny Shirey <laughs> some other time. Uh, but what I want to talk to you about is is that idea that when you play Pittsburgh, you play the whole city. We yeah. saw Coach Tomlin at one of the Penguin games, uh, the first round, one of the first round playoff games. Crowd went absolutely nuts when they showed him. You know, we've seen videos of Ben in the offensive line at mm-hmm. Penguins game, Penguins playoff games. When the Pirates made their run, we saw, you know, a bunch of Steelers and Penguins at those games. We saw a bunch of Penguins at playoff, Steelers playoff games one of the things that you know as fans you know and you know i'm only a year into this media thing so i'm still fresh on that i I love seeing the athletes support each other um for you what is that camaraderie like and what is it like to you know to have the backing of like the local baseball team the local hockey team uh and and then going and supporting them when they play well like what it like what is that how much more fun does it make it for you as an athlete 
no no matter how good or bad any team can be in Pittsburgh, it's you're always backed by the others, what I always recognize. And it seems like I know baseball has had its struggles here and there as far as, you know, trying to stay above the line as far as wins and losses. But the love, the reception, the way all of them blend in with one another, like I feel like the Pirates know who the Steelers are. We know who the Penguins are, and all of them just intertwine with one another to where if we need tickets or we go to a game, there's always something Mm -hmm. or somebody that's going to say something to you or make you feel a part of that organization as much as you are of your own. Like, you inherit a family when you're a Pittsburgh fan. Like, it just... It's that simple, man. And I'll never forget, we go there, we get the jerseys, and as far as the hockey games go, or we get an opportunity, we see one of the guys in um in, in public. Like, I'll never forget, like, one of the first baseball jerseys I ended up getting was a freaking McCutcheon. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And, like, and having the opportunity to have met him also and let my kids who also play baseball meet him, and just oh, the humbleness of it, yeah. just how cool he was as a person, and j- more than anything, just – you, you're just guys that's in the city that love sports, that embraced by a fan base that also loves you too. There is nothing better than that, man. And it's, it's not going out of the way. It's just the way we do stuff in Pittsburgh. And I've always been proud of that fact, you know? Yeah. It, now you're in Nashville and, and when the Penguins played the Predators in the Stanley Cup, we saw, you know, Taylor Lewin yeah. and all the offensive linemen there, you know, like the, that was the big thing. The shotgun appears to be yeah. like catfish. Uh, is it like in your travels, is it like that everywhere or is that is it something special with cities like Nashville and Pittsburgh and you know a few others? I think it's something special in Pittsburgh. Like what what the Titans and Penguins have going on here, uh, are not the Predators have yeah. going on here. I know I can't say that too loud because they <laughs> hate the Penguins. Okay, um, I think Pittsburgh is just different in general. Mm-hmm. And when you draw a baseline of what's expected, it's really just win. You mm-hmm. know, and I always probably reference Kev talking about, you know, well, you did it, now do it again. Like, some people or some fan bases are shocked that they can win. They get mad at the fact that they don't win. Pittsburgh win is like, okay, we'll do it again. If you lose, it's, well, it's always, a, it's always the next opportunity. That's the way I always look at the way we are as opposed to other organizations. I'm talking about football specifically and just the city and Pittsburgh in general. Like, no matter what everybody's going to come out and support the frigging pirates. And it's because that hope of winning, not just what do I want to call it? Not just spite as far as going to see them, but you genuinely want to see that turnover and them win. the penguins have done their thing like that. It's behind them with, with us in that city, man, it's always the expectation. You don't right. mention just winning your division. You mentioned the Super Bowl. They mentioned the Stanley Cup. The, the Pirates, they're going to get there at some we'll point, okay? We'll get there. Yep. But the base is always loyal and is not overly toxic. It yeah. is some toxic you know, parts of the fan base, but it's not overly toxic as far as expectations or at least the common sense aspect of it. It really shows itself when you're a Pittsburgh fan. Yeah, and, and I mean, like, I to bring it full circle back to the Steelers, I, I do think that the Rooney set that standard. I think it was the Rooney yeah. family because I mean, if you look at the Pirates, yeah, they were good in the you know in the '60s. They won those 1960 World Series. They won the '71 World Series, '79. Um, but that I think that culture in Pittsburgh changed. Yeah, when when the Rooneys drafted Joe Green. And that, and that football team and the Steelers, that organization started to climb because when you win four Super Bowls in six years, Moan, you, you've set the bar. 
that's yeah, it. Yeah. There, there is you there is no uh, there's nothing else now you can't do any better and that's what's the, what the expectation is and credit to the Rooney family for keeping that expectation for as long as they have with this organization and I think it has bled through this whole city that no we you know as fans we don't accept anything other than excellence and as players you guys don't expect any, you you don't accept anything other than excellence yeah. you know, all the different stories you told of you know holding people accountable in the locker rooms and and making sure people are coming and doing what they're supposed to do day in and day out you know, I think that that all started with the Roonies back in the you know sixties and seventies, setting that foundation, and that's a, I mean, that's a testament to that family and what you know what they did for this city. It is, and it's kind of bled, like I said, into the fan base as far as, and I know we're going to be like, we need a Super Bowl, we need a Super Bowl, but I, I, I think more than anything since we've had a relatively recent or Stanley Cup, that you kind of say to yourself. I know it's hard. I feel like we have that type of common sense. Like, I know it's hard. Would, would, the, would the Steelers love to win a Super Bowl? You doggone right. You know what I'm saying? But the understanding of what the game entails and how the business has to move and shift and what's necessary to actually win. I know the biggest frustration probably came for us during the times that we just couldn't get past New England. Yeah. And then you just look at it and you just say, well, it was just hard. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, and it wasn't an a matter of team. It was just a matter of one or two plays. And Eddie, you're a coach. You know, one or two plays. Makes the game, man. Makes or break the game. And that's, where do you find it? To end in a tie? To, to you know what I'm saying? It wasn't yeah. like we cracked the folded, but when you got 11 people on the field trying to do the exact same thing, there's going to be one or two plays. And I think that's where football is very unique. And I, I love the understanding of the fan base to be like, as long as we're above the line, we got a shot. And that's all you really want as a fan base or as a, as an organization. Yep. And it's to wrap this up. So, you know, talking about all this, is there one moment that not football, if we, if we separate football right. when your time in Pittsburgh, what is your favorite Pittsburgh sports moment? Favorite Pittsburgh sports moment for me, non-football. In your time here. Man, I think it was watching the seeing Kutch. Seeing the uh, all, what was it, all blacked out play-in game that they had also. Yeah, yeah. You uh, you know, like seeing that, uh, getting a chance to meet Kush, because I'll be honest, that made me more of a baseball fan. Or just going to PNC Park. Mm-hmm. If you hadn't been, the one, the tickets are cheap because why? It's baseball, so many games. Boy, but but being a in that park, be, man. that backdrop, like that's one of the things I miss about Pittsburgh is being able to go there. I know p- baseball is a boring sport and all that type of stuff, but... <laughs> Go there. I think it'll change your mindset on, especially mm-hmm. if it's a nice, cool Pittsburgh day too. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's. Uh, if you've never experienced PNC Park, I can't recommend it enough. It's a beautiful, beautiful place. And that blackout game, I wasn't there, but boy, was that uh, watching that on TV, man. That was one of the highlights of my my sports fandom. I tell you that, like getting to watch playoff baseball with my dad for the first time. <laughs> Couldn't beat it, man. Couldn't beat it. It was could not. Uh, when we come back, I, we've got a really good hey moan because I think this one is uh, close to home for you, man. And uh, I'm interested. I'm interested to hear your uh, answer. You haven't given it to me yet, so uh, we'll be right back after this. All right, welcome back to the Ramon Foster Show, Ramon. I got a good hey moan question here. I've, I've been waiting to hear your answer to this question. Uh, this one comes from Joseph Reed on uh, on YouTube, and he says, "Hey moan." Is it the QB that makes the receiver or the wide receiver that makes the QB? I'm really curious to get your answer since you played with Ben Roethlisberger and Antonio Brown. Whew. Uh, I'm going to uh, shut up and I'm going to put you on the spot. 
In so many ways, man, Eddie, to break this down, it legitimately is so many ways to break this down. I think when you, golly, okay. I'll say this. My two biggest questions this offseason is this. Can Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes make another one? Hmm. Patrick lost Tyreek. Aaron lost Devontae. Can they make another one in terms of pro bowlers, all pros? So when I say that, I almost make it seem like it's the quarterback that's more important, right? And in all actuality, I think a good bit of the credit, I don't want to say more because more seems like I'm giving them less credit. A good bit of the credit does go to the quarterback simply because being able to put it on the spot, being able to lead them a certain way as far as throwing the ball and letting them run after catch, being able to communicate with them and let them know, hey, I need you here instead of here, you know. But on the other side of it, what the receiver does after he get the ball in his hand, that's on them. You know what I'm saying? Like throwing a five yard slant is just that. Hell, that can be a five yard catch, and that's that. But watching a quarter, watching a wide receiver catch a five yard slant and go seventy yards, that in itself is the wide receiver. Yeah. Now uh, again, I brought this up to you before when we were talking about this conversation. Why do why do wide receivers become divas? And it's this: a running back can get a handoff and do whatever he's going to do for either he's going to run the daylight or he's going to run into the back of the offensive lineman. Okay. Offensive linemen, they control their work. Tight ends, they get the ball when necessary, right? Mm-hmm. Um, who, who else? Defense, that's a position all in its own. Like, if you want to be that guy, you go going to make those plays on defense. Why do wide receivers become divas? It's because it's the only position in which you rely on somebody else directly to get your job done. If your quarterback has a noodle arm, if your quarterback is very inaccurate, if your quarterback can't process how to break down coverages and he's throwing pick after pick after pick, then that's on them, right? You see what I'm saying? What are you going to do? Then you become a diva or a quarterback can ice somebody out. I'm going to throw to him. I'm going to throw to my number two more than I throw to my one today. You know what I'm saying? So that's where the dependency on the position always causes some type of issues here or there. Or you want to go somewhere else, I Devontae, to go play with Derek Carr because, one, that's his best friend. Mm -hmm. They went to the same college. But, well, let me show you that it was more me than it was you, Aaron. Yeah. You know, like it's those types of things. Now, the talent in itself is always inside of the wide receiver, but you do have to have that quarterback that can make it happen. See, I, I have a theory on this, and it's it's a little all over the place. I think a good wide a good quarterback can make a great wide receiver. Yeah. But I think a great wide receiver can make an elite quarterback. And here's here's yeah. my here's my point with that. Tom Brady's best regular season, who did he have as his number one wide receiver? Was it uh, Randy Moss? Randy Moss. Randy Moss. Look at the numbers that Tom Brady put up with Randy Moss. And then look mm-hmm. at the – now, look, I'm not saying his numbers no, were no. bad with anyone else. But look at what they did that year when the two of them were clicking together. Yep. You put Randy Moss with a quarterback like Tom Brady, and he makes Tom Brady go to that next level. As much look, I am the I'm biggest you. quarterback fan. I could, I mean, I could watch dudes throw footballs all day, every day. Yeah, but if you're a good, if you're a Hall of Fame quarterback and you don't have a good wide receiver, yep, you're Dan Marino. Okay, that that's very very fair when you when you break it down again. Like I said, you can't give credit to one without giving credit to the other. Also, but if you ask me, what I'm picking first. I'm picking a quarterback. 
I'm probably picking the quarterback too, but I'm just like, I mean, and I, when I said, uh, look, cause I'm going to have everybody in the comment section coming after me. Cause I said, so, I, it sounded like I was negative uh, about Danny Marino. Look, <laughs> Danny Marino, too. in my opinion, is the most talented quarterback to ever play the game. Yeah. Yeah. But without a good wide receiver, he couldn't win a Super Bowl. Well, he faced was, his only time he went up against Joe Montana and look yeah. at the receiving core that he had. Versus versus what he had, yes, yeah. So I mean, that's the difference right there. When when you are a great quarterback, the difference then becomes: can you find that receiver to make you elite? Look at Ben and AB. Ben yep. was always a great quarterback, but when you right. got prime AB with him, Ben went up to that next level too. So I think that if if you're a great quarterback, you need that receiver to get you to the elite level. That's true. One elevates the other, yeah. but if if you're asking me, I'm I'm choosing. The quarterback first simply because and you're not wrong in saying this the receiver can elevate but in the same sense look at what was a b minus uh minus ben though too yeah. now maybe yeah, age played a factor in his his other issues but but again look emmanuel with emmanuel sanders only played with hall of fame quarterbacks can we just say that also <laughs> Can we can we acknowledge? I, I, is that a smart agent? Is that what that is? Is that a, or is a smart that a, player? Or a smart player, maybe? <laughs> ben Peyton, Breeze, Josh Allen. If I'm not mistaken, that's that's a good that's a good quarterbacks man. Who's played with a better arm than friggin' E? Dude, that you know what? That's a good. That might be another good hey moan section. Who? who God, what, God man, that, that's a. Whew. That's a hell of a freaking group that you could. I, Ramon, I never thought of that until you just said it right now. But let's say this, though. He's a very smart guy. Yeah, he hey. also knows what moved the ticker and keeps him in his league this long also. He knows what's going to get him paid. Exactly. It is his quarterback. So, five-yard slant, going 70, that's the wide receiver. Mm-hmm. But being able to dice apart a defense with a wide receiver that you're you know, on the same page with, I think that goes towards the quarterback. Yeah, I look like I said. I at the end of the day, if you give me you know first overall pick and I'm taking the best receiver or the best quarterback, I'm taking the best quarterback because I think that makes your whole team better. But, I mean, let's look at this also. What are they trying? Well, to your point though, you this is your point. I was about to make it for you. What did Miami do this offseason to try to protect their quarterback, Tyreek Hill? They went and got them wide receivers. Yeah, I think that's. I think this is one of those circular arguments that could just happen all day, and it, is. and it could never end. And we, you can make a point, and I can make a point, and we can just go back and forth, and then we could trade sides, and we'll just keep going, man. I Yo, think that, that's I, man. Uh, Joseph Reed with one of the better Hey Moan questions. I, I was think. good, and, it, and it's such a simple question. Everybody talks about it all the time. I can't believe it took this long <laughs> to get it on this show. And we didn't tiptoe around it, but it's like, well, what do you choose? Yeah, yeah. I mean. What do y'all believe? Tell us. Yeah, I want to see in the comments section. Is it the quarterback that makes the wide receiver or the receiver that makes the quarterback? Let us know in the comments. And while you're there, hit the like button. Hit the subscribe button. Make sure you're getting alerted to all of our shows. Make sure you're getting all the Ramon Foster shows when they come out. Uh, Ramon, this has been fun, man. I, you know, like I'm going to have to figure out how to keep DK busy so I could do this every once in a while. Uh, it's, exactly. been, it's been nice hopping on and hanging out with you on this side of the camera rather than, you know, in, in the text messages and on the, uh, on the producer side. So I have no to figure doubt. out a way to keep him. Maybe the pirates get good and he'll have to start covering them a little more. I don't know. <laughs> we'll figure something out, but, uh, this has been fun. And we didn't even get into any bourbon talk today, man. We didn't. <laughs> we didn't. But guess what? Uh, Soon enough, Eddie. We'll Soon get there. Enough. We'll get there, man. Hey, everybody, thank you for watching. We all Always appreciate you. Uh, we don't do this without all of you guys. Ramon, thanks for your time, man. Always good hanging out with you. Absolutely. Uh, for DK Pittsburgh Sports and Ramon Foster, I'm Eddie Provident. DK will be back tomorrow. We'll see you next time.